Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish. Coming up, I am going to be speaking to Wayne McCurry. So how are you finding things economically? You know, I always think of economics as a seesaw. When we have an upmarket and the rand is strong, there will be winners and there will be losers economically, right? When the rand is strong, when the rand is weak, again, we have winners and we have losers. For example, the export market, those are going to be winners. More people are going to want to support our our exports because they will be cheaper, they will be more affordable, and there will be more, a greater return on on investment. So along comes a pandemic, which is a complete anomaly. Nobody expected it. Depending on who you ask, nobody foresaw it. But either way, where we are now in South Africa, we know we have a lot of problems. We know what needs to happen. But I thought, you know what, let's speak to somebody who really knows. And joining me right now is uh, Wayne McCurry. Wayne is, uh, sorry, <laughs> Wayne is a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. Welcome, Wayne. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you so much for the time. So sure. just, can we just look at the South African market in general? before we talk about the U.S. Um, inflation rates? Sure. Look, I mean, our, our market is sitting, you know, virtually back at all-time record highs, and it's really nice to have a market that, that, you know, finally, after all the Zuma years and after all the, I suppose you can say, the state of the South African economy and generally the state of where we find ourselves and the COVID and the pandemic and the unrest we had in July, all of that, you know, our market now, after going sideways, quite frankly, for many, many years, at the beginning of last year, it gave us a very good return. That continued this year, and we're sitting at record high. So at long last, our sort of three- or five-year return is at a reasonable type of level. I mean, literally, I'm just looking at the graph now. Our market went sideways for almost four four years, and now we've had a nice bull market. And taken in isolation, our market's not terribly overvalued at this level, even though it is at, as I, as I mentioned, virtually all-time record high. So I don't think in isolation investors have to worry too much about the overall valuation of our market. I mean, our market has in the last year gone through a very, very strong commodity upcycle. And then in the last few months of last year, a little bit of a down cycle, which I think was justified in commodities. But the commodity shares have fully recovered from that. And I think that that's probably correct, uh, reflecting correct value. Our domestic shares, in other words, the banks, the retailers, shares that are focused on South Africa and property sector are probably still in the cheap range or, you know, sort of somewhere at fair value range. They've done a lot of, a lot of, uh, Hard lifting of our market, quite frankly, the property shares are up probably the best sector in the market over the last year, and certainly the financials aren't that far behind. But even though it's called the South African stock market or the JSE, only about 20% of our market is actually related directly to South Africa. The other 80% are either full international global companies 
or mining companies that may have mines in South Africa, but, you know, their share price is determined by the dollar price of what they sell. So, in, you know, just as a summary, summary then, in isolation, our market doesn't show any signs of overvaluation despite being at record highs. When you mentioned the July uprising from last year, have we recovered economically? From that. Yes, we, there's total recovery. Now, whenever you look at the retailers, and, and we've got lots of updates from all the retailers and all the property companies that were affected by the unrest. And I mean, just roughly speaking, anywhere between six to 10% of their retail footprint or their building footprint was affected by the riots. And I would think 95% of that is back in action. And has been for a while. So we have fully recovered. Of course, the cost is very hard to work out what the cost actually is, but it's probably somewhere between 30 to 50 billion. I know roughly 30 or 35 billion was claimed from Sasria, the, the uh, unrest insurance company. I know the government had to put a good couple of billion into that, but all of those payments, as far as I know, have in fact been paid. And I'm quite involved with, uh, with, with a a fairly large property company, and luckily enough, we didn't get affected too badly by this. But we're all back in business, and the economy is also back in business. So even though it was obviously a terrible event, and we certainly hope that it won't reoccur and that the government takes the appropriate steps to make sure that it doesn't reoccur again, it is, in fact, behind us from an economic viewpoint. Is that true for sentiment? Investor sentiments no, as well. Sentiment's a strange thing. Look, look, um, when you live in a country and you hear every day and you experience things firsthand, you always think this is catastrophic. No, it's terrible. Why is this happening to us? But the reality is this happens worldwide and it happens, unfortunately, probably more in third world countries than in first world countries. But don't forget that was it exactly a year ago? The U.S. Parliament was invaded and taken over by a mob. I mean, yeah, in South Africa, at least our parliament only burns down. It's not taken over by a wild mob. You know, so these unrest, these things happen, and it unfortunately happens worldwide. So a lot of investors, even though clearly it's not good news for South Africa, it's not maybe as catastrophic as what we would think it would be in respect of how investors Look at South Africa. You must remember capitalism is, is is ruthless, essentially. You know, it doesn't matter what the levels of risk are. As long as you think you can make a fair return given that risk, people will invest. You know, they're not coming to live in South Africa. They're only sending their money here. So, you know, as long as they say, well, in America, I can make a 2% return on my money. In South Africa, I can make a 10% return on my money. That extra 8% compensates me for the risk. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm standing in for Avi Kay. I'm speaking to Wayne McCurry. He's the portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investment. This is RV on Business. I'm Kathy Kayla, standing in for Avi Kay, who will be back on the radio next week. Right now, we're talking about forecasting the future, the fiscal realities of 2022. And I'm speaking to Wayne McCurry. He's a portfolio manager at FMB Wealth and Investments. When the United States, they are looking at uh, 
their interest rates. What are we expecting and why does it have such an impact on South Africa? Sure. Okay, first of all, just some background. Since the global financial crisis in 2008-2009, developed world, major economies worldwide have had, call it zero interest rates. And short-term rates were zero. Long bond rates in America got down to about 0.6 of a percent. And in a couple of countries in Europe, the 10-year bond rate actually went negative. So in other words, We've had an environment since 2009, 2010 of money costing nothing. In addition, central banks worldwide did this thing called quantitative easing. Now, that's a very fancy word for printing money and throwing it at the problem. Now, the amount of money that was printed worldwide, I mean, quite frankly, no one knows how much it was but it was probably in the region of 13 to $15 trillion. Then along came the pandemic, and you got more quantitative easing, where a couple more trillion dollars were put into the system. Now, when I say put into the system, essentially they go in, the central banks go in and buy bonds, and by buying bonds, you drive the interest rate down. So the central banks have ensured that the long bond rate which they can't control, went extremely low. And the short-term interest rates, which they do control, were zero, that the world survived the 2008 global financial crisis and the world, from an economic viewpoint, survived the pandemic and the virus. So that's why they did it. And luckily for them, inflation stayed low this whole time period up until last year. Now they sit with the dilemma. Inflation in America is 7%. There's a new number coming out this week on Friday, I think, where it's also going to show 7%. Now, everyone knows that if inflation is 7% and interest rates are zero, you are going to end up with a problem at some stage. Because if you as a consumer are faced with the choice of buying a new car now and borrowing money at 0%, or buying a new car in a year's time and paying 7% more for that car because that's the inflation rate, guess what you're doing? You're spending now as quickly as what you can and you're borrowing because the cost of borrowing is less than the inflation rate. So if you take that to its ultimate extreme, you end up as Zimbabwe because that's what exactly what happened in Zimbabwe. Inflation was 10,000%, but interest rates were only 3,000% or whatever the numbers were. So interest rates have to go up in America. What the effect is on markets is actually quite material. Now, once again, to go to uh, an example, if you're an investor and you can put your money in the bank and earn zero, or you can buy shares and get a 2% dividend yield, you know, you're buying shares. But all of a sudden, if you can put your money in the bank and get 5% interest rates, Would you be that keen to buy shares and get a 2% dividend yield? No. So in other words, when interest rates go up, that 2% dividend yield must now start to compete with interest rates. In other words, the market must fall so that the 2% yield becomes 4% or becomes 5% so that you would attract buyers back into the share market. In other words, the valuation of shares is determined only by two things. Number one is the earnings. And I'll come back to that. 
And the second one is what rating or what interest rate do you apply to those earnings? And that is determined by global interest rates. In other words, if interest rates are zero, you buy shares as though there's no tomorrow. But if interest rates were 5%, you would think twice about buying shares because you could put your money in the bank and earn 5%. Hmm. So that's the risk of higher interest rates to the share market. And if the, if that's a risk to the U.S. share market, it's a risk to every global share market. And, of course, here in South Africa, if U.S. interest rates go up, why buy the RAND at low interest rates when you can invest in the U.S. and earn 5%? Our interest rates must go up to compete for global capital. They can't stay low. So in other words, effectively, U.S. interest rates, by and large, determine where global interest rates go. And U.S. rates are going up. It's just a question of how much they're going up by. So if inflation 7% and stays there, U.S. rates must go to 7 at least. But if inflation falls to 2 or 2.5% two by the middle of this year, which I think it will, I hope it will, then interest rates may only have to go to 2 or 2.5%. Two Look, 2.5% is still a lot more than zero, but it's a lot better than 7 So that's the dilemma that we're sitting with now or the unanswered question that we're sitting with now. And quite frankly, it's the only question. Everything else, every other economic question, every other virus question, every other cyclical question or global unrest question or global economics or global warming or anything, as far as as far as the share markets are concerned, are completely irrelevant in comparison to this question on U.S. inflation. Is it staying at seven or is it coming down to two? And I think it's coming down to two, but that's just my guess. You get this one wrong. You as an investor or people like myself as investment managers, you get it wrong, you're in deep trouble here. Unbelievable. It's quite nerve-wracking, actually. It is a little bit. This is the, this is the, I mean, quite frankly, life's been easy for 10 years as an investor because you just buy shares. I mean, you don't even worry about anything else. And hopefully, if you're lucky enough or if you're astute enough, you bought U.S. tech shares. And you just sat back and the returns just went through the roof. So this is the first time that there is a identifiable threat to this extremely benign investment, uh, investment scenario or investment um, circumstances, investment circumstances that were positive for equity. In other words, simplistically speaking, the free lunch is over. Wayne, do you think that this is creating a perfect storm for people to invest more in crypto, in cryptocurrencies? Yes, cryptos, cryptos love zero interest rates because there's no cost to money to it. And, of course, cryptos in theory go up in volatile times, but cryptos also seem to go down in volatile times. Look, I don't know enough about cryptos, and I don't think anyone does, by the way. I think anyone who tells you they know and understand cryptos are only fooling themselves, but I mean, they've gone from effectively zero to 18,000 to 9,000 to 20,000 to 7,000 to 60,000 to 41,000. I mean, this is an extremely volatile, talking Bitcoin now, this is an extremely volatile uh, investment criteria. I don't know why it's called currency. It should be called something else because currencies are supposed to be stable. But 
Who knows, it might be the next best thing ever that's ever hit the world from an investment viewpoint. I don't think so, but I mean, what do I know about crypto? And who knows, who knows what the future holds for anything? My only caution is to people who are in crypto and believe in crypto, and you may well be right, is don't put all your money in there because this is extremely volatile. And you know, you can, you can get prop, you can make a fortune, but you can get properly cleaned out as well. Exactly. Now your average guy can put his life savings in, become a venture capitalist. High risk, yes. high returns. Right? But don't put your don't put don't put your life savings ever into any one single thing. Yeah. Ever. Because you just take too much risk. I'm Kathy Kayla. I'm standing in for Avi Kay and joining me right now in conversation is Wayne McCurry. He's a portfolio manager at F and B Wealth and Investments. We're talking about the fiscal realities. For 2022 going ahead. I see uh, about half an hour ago the World Economic Forum actually put out their report on the Global Risks Report 2022. Now, I don't expect you've read it yet, Wayne, <laughs> but in- <clears throat> excuse me, but interestingly enough, what they've listed as the biggest threats are the global risks. They say is um, climate, the climate crisis, growing social divides, heightened cyber risks, and an uneven global recovery from the pandemic. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, do you, would, no, you, would you agree? Yes, I think that's entirely correct. Just on the first one, global warming and the response to global warming, Yeah. Um, this is a well-established trend now. I mean, every company I see, a big global company today said that they're going to be carbon neutral by 2040. And this is a major established trend that's not going anywhere. So global warming and carbon emissions, there is such intense public pressure, public scrutiny, political pressure that carbon emissions will be cut dramatically over the next, let's say, two decades or so. But understand it's a long term. It's like, it's like electric cars. You know, electric cars, there's 10 million cars sold a year in the world. About three or four million of them are electric. You know, even if, even if a hundred percent, even if all hundred million cars were electric, there's still 1.3 billion cars on the road. So it's still going to take 10 years for the, you know, for electric to replace internal combustion engines. So these are long term trends. I mean, the other risks global, if effectively, the difference between rich and poor people, that's not new. You know, that's been around for a very, very, it's been around forever. You know, there's always been rich people and unfortunately there's always been poor people and communism tried to equal that out, but that wasn't entirely successful. Um, so the, the other risks I think are longer term risks that have been here. The pandemic, I mean, hopefully no new variant arrives that's, that's immune to the vaccinations that are, that are out. But as long as that doesn't occur, which is unlikely, I mean, there will be new variants, but it will be unlikely that the new variant will have developed full resistance to the vaccine or that the vaccine can't be adapted relatively quickly to counteract a variant. But a significant proportion of the world's population is already vaccinated against it. And by and large, from an economic viewpoint, luckily enough, I think the COVID and the the epidemic is actually behind us from an economic viewpoint. You know, life carries on. As it does have to, yes. Wayne, I just wanted to ask you about 
you know, with this report, one of the risks, the top climate, the top, one of the top risks for 2022, according to the World Economic Forum report, is climate crisis. What is the going to, what do you think would be the impact on our commodities? Well, look, the world needs commodities. Sure. So other than oil, other than, than, than oil, the demand for other commodities is actually quite strong. I mean, the demand for copper with electric cars coming will go through the roof. I don't know if you've got enough copper. You know, so certainly copper looks extremely favorable. If you are against plastics and you're against, uh, you know, um, items made from uh, uh, fossil fuels, you know, then you've got to go iron and steel, essentially. I mean, you can go some biodegradable stuff, but I wouldn't like to drive a car made out of cardboard. So, you know, you'd want to steal cars. So I, I can't see, I can't see, uh, the demand for commodities other than oil, you know, being too negatively affected by this big uh, switch to zero emissions and zero carbon. I mean, the, the, the true enemy is coal, which obviously will be negatively affected. And sure. I'll come back to that. And, and oil. It's interesting on coal because it's such a, a bad polluter. No one's put money into any coal, you know, new coal mines or anything like that. But we still need coal for at least the next decade. Otherwise, we'll have no electricity because, you know, a significant proportion of the world's electricity is still fired from coal. I mean, in South Africa, it's probably 80%, 85% is coal fired. And because no one's put money into new developing coal, those people who do own a coal mine are actually making a fortune. The price of coal has gone through the roof. Yeah, that's crazy. I was I was actually down in Pumalanga and just traveling from Middleburg to Mpumalanga or to, to Kruger, the amount of mines that have been started up there and just those mining trucks, you know, it is unbelievable. What, what they no, I've been there what, as well. I've yeah, seen them. And they're doing chrome and they're doing all, they're mining all sorts of kinds of minerals. It's unbelievable. Yeah. In two, in two years, that wasn't there two years ago. It's, it's yeah. incredible. But I mean, that, that, that's good for our economy. And, you know, thank goodness we did have a, a commodity boom last year, specifically platinum and palladium and rhodium, et cetera, because otherwise we would never have been able to pay for all the grants because of the epidemic. And we would never have been able to assess. would never have been able to pay out all the claims for the unrest, et cetera, because the government actually had significantly more revenue income than what they expected because of the, the the South African commodities boom. And thank goodness for that, because otherwise our government would have been further in trouble from a fiscal viewpoint, because we were already in huge trouble. And this would only, you know, the, the virus and the unrest would only have significantly compounded it, that lucky enough we got more revenue. And, you know, after going junk status a couple of years ago, I forget it, maybe a month ago, one of the rating agencies changed our outlook from negative to stable. Now, that's hmm. the first time a rating agency has moved on the positive side on any of our ratings for 15 years. Incredible. Wayne McCurry, that is where we have to leave it today. Thank you so much. You will have Avi Pleasure. from next week, and thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I wish you all the best for 2022. Yes, thank you. That's Portfolio Manager at FMB Wealth and Investment, Wayne McCurry.